to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Thank you, Luke. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Episode 5 of the COO Roundtable. We have two incredible COOs joining us today. They have a ton of valuable information to share, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, joining us today are Heather Fortner from Signature FD, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and Lucas Winthrop from Winthrop Wealth Management in Boston. Thank you both for being here and for taking time from your busy schedules. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. So, Heather, I'm going to go to you first. Can you tell us a little bit about Signature FD? Yeah, Signature FD is a uh, integrated wealth management firm in Atlanta, Georgia. We have about 3.6 billion under management, about 82, 83 employees right now. Um, fantastic firm. I'm really proud of it. Um, we were founded in 1997. We were started by uh, three staff accountants at Fraser and Dieter, uh, which is one of the largest, currently one of the largest regional accounting firms in the Southeast. So we have a, a unique beginning um, coming out of uh, an accounting firm that we still call one of our um, affiliates and one of our closest strategic partners today. So I've been running into this more and more. So I'm guessing uh, they would do tax returns and the client would say, wow, thanks. You've got me X amount of money. What should I do with it? And then they decided somewhere down the line that, hey, we should get into the business of giving investment advice. Is that sort of how it how it came about? You know, I think the vision was always uh, around the fact that CPAs as the trusted resource that they are typically have foreknowledge of transition events in clients' lives uh, well before they happen. And so they are in a very unique position to be able to help coordinate bringing the right uh, additional professionals into the situation to wrap around a client's transition events and get them situated well before the transition event ever occurs. And so I think the vision there was... Um, Man, this is this is a unique opportunity to really impact the lives of clients in a different and advantageous way. How can we build a partnership together that will allow us to have um, enormous impact in these these clients' lives from the beginning? You know, really before the transition event even occurs. Um, and and so that has just been a, a beautiful partnership over the years, and has really allowed uh, us. To you know, surround clients with all kinds of professionals that have been able to build integrated solutions and plans um, that will achieve a, a client's goals and and their life wishes. That's great. Yeah, the the true quarterback of the client's financial life. That's that's great. Absolutely. So, Lucas, um, tell us a little bit about Winthrop Wealth. Sure. So Winthrop Wealth was founded back in 1984 officially uh, by both my father and my uncle, Earl Winthrop and Mark Winthrop. And very similar to uh, the way uh, Heather's firm was founded, both Earl and Mark came from the with C backgrounds as CPAs. Uh, Earl worked uh, for the big four accounting firms and audit, and Mark worked for the IRS investigating abusive tax shelters. So you know, a little bit different on a spin on how they got into the business, but they saw really that the brokers back in the seven, late 70s, early 80s were not really working in favor of their clients. You know, there's slinging commission-based products and things that really did not make sense uh, from the suitability perspective. And, you know, they just th didn't see true alignment between the back then, what I guess the broker, which would be the financial advisor and the, the end client. So they, uh, they went out on a limb and they, they were really pioneers in fee-only uh, advisory space. And this is back in 84 when nobody was doing it. And so, you know, a lot of what you see now is most firms are just catching up to something that we've been doing for almost 35 years, which is acting as a fiduciary, working on a fee-only basis for our clients with their best interests at hand. And they uh, really started in the independent space. So uh, we've been operating in independent space since really inception in 84 and so, you know, we just hired our 17th employee. Uh, we've grown 100% organically through word of mouth and referrals. So we have a very high quality book of business. And, you know, our client base is, is, is really all about fit. 
right? So we seek to, to work with really high quality clients who align with us both philosophically and on a value basis. And, and that's really what's been the driver of our business and the growth that we've had. Um, we've never gone out there and really had the goal to grow. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's a little bit about our firm. And um, I came, I joined the firm in 2013 and, and my brother joined a year later in 2014. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I want to dig uh, one, one. So that was the firm level. Now um, you, you led me right to it. So um, Lucas, why don't you just continue to, to talk to me about how you joined the firm? Um, your, your father and uncle were very strategic in putting you and your brother Max into leadership roles. How has that kind of evolved? Well, I don't know if they were very strategic about it. I think they lucked out if, if you ask me, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as a family business, uh, you know, I grew up around the business and, you know, I, I'm the younger of the, the two uh, sons of Earl. So, uh, you know, the troublemaker that I was growing up, I was the one who was forced to spend the summers working in the office when my brother was off, you know, having fun and doing things with his friends. So I learned, I learned a lot about the business from a pretty young age and um, was always fascinated by the relationships that my, my father had built with our clients and a lot of our best family friends were, were really came through, you know, a, a business first relationship. So it was pretty impressive to me to see how he had, you know, built these relationships with people who were clients first and then became best, best friends second, and then vice versa. I'd say it's harder on the other uh, uh, side of that. But um, really, you know, how I came into this position was when I joined the firm in 2013, um, you know, Earl and Mark were running an extremely lean business. There was two or three advisors with a couple of admins who were managing close to a billion dollars of assets. And, um, you know, a lot of what you've seen in the independent space is entrepreneurs who they, they work in the business and they don't work on the business. And that was a situation that we were faced with. And so when I came into the business, you know, I was really wearing a lot of different hats and, and there was no set role or responsibility which is tough as as a young person who is trying to figure out, you know, how to make it in this industry and 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 you know have a career trajectory. Uh, it was it wasn't really uh, set out in front of me and, and crystal clear. So uh, what I really did was look at the business as a whole and say, wow, we really need to create some structure here. This is you know more than it was five ten years ago, and the continuity and the scalability wasn't there to continue to provide. The, the elite level of service and, and um, value to the clients that we, we were doing. So Max joined the firm, my brother, about a year later. And without him, I don't think I could have done any of this. But uh, we worked very, we worked really well together. And um, we kind of assigned these roles to ourselves. And it wasn't just that Earl and Mark were looking at us saying, oh, yeah, these guys can, can run the firm. We really uh, had to prove ourselves. And so I don't want to say that we were strategically placed into that role because, again, both Earl and Mark were so focused on working in the business. And I think it took probably two or three years before they real, realized, you know, the direction that we were going. And they were really the first case for seeing our success, which was being able to give them their time back to focus on the high value priority items that they wanted. And most for both of them, that was working with spending more time with clients and, and deepening the intimate relationships that they have. So again, we kind of created these roles for ourselves and uh, I don't want to say we've bitten off more than we can chew, but we've, we've got a lot on our plate. <laughs> no, that's great. And, and obviously PFI advisors, we've talked about it a lot that, that the advisors should be spending their time focused on clients and prospects and bringing in quote professional management um, allows them to, to do that. And, and you guys have, have sort of built this role for yourself in terms of running the, the firm. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so Heather, you've had, uh, uh, and I've listened to your podcast with Michael Kitsis. You've had an amazing career trajectory during your time at the firm. Um, not only are you the COO today, but you're the CCO and you're a partner at the firm to boot. So can you kind of walk us through how, how you've navigated that uh, career path to, to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I um, I like to say that in spite of myself, I have been blessed to um, <laughs> get course direction along the way. Um, because if I had uh, tried to chart my own course along the way, I definitely would not have been successful. So um, very different than Lucas. I 
um, you know, really struggled to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. My dad very clearly said, whatever it is, uh, whenever you get out of college, you are going to have to support yourself. So very clearly, mm-hmm. I very quickly um, wanted to get a, a degree in finance, but really had no idea uh, what I wanted to do in finance and the options were endless. So I started as an intern. I just uh, while I was still in school, started at a wealth management firm. When I got out of school, got hired by that firm for about two years, did financial planning for that firm, um, got the client exposure, really enjoyed that exposure. They were forward thinking and started a trust company uh, and offered me the opportunity to go and help build out the the technology and operational platform for that company. And that seemed exciting. And and by that point, I had realized enough about myself that being bored was was not good for me and that I needed a lot of intellectual stimulation to to be my best person. And so that seemed fun. And so I did that. And once that got up and running, I just really realized that the banking environment um, wasn't necessarily fulfilling the personal need that I had deep inside to connect with people and to make a difference in people's lives. So I was very, very blessed and very fortunate to find Signature FD. We were F&D advisors at the time. Started as a client care associate. Um, Just started to have opportunities to learn different areas of the business. We, um, you know, helped with mortgages, helped with insurance, helped just really opportunities to learn the business side of things um, just by doing and the inside out. And and those are opportunities that not a lot of people get. And I was very fortunate to have those with getting my uh, master's in professional counseling at night. And really the vision there um, when I spoke about why I was doing that was because in my time that I had had in the industry, I'd seen enormous strain in families around communicating about money. And so I really thought that I would have a career helping with true counseling and true financial therapy with families. And what I uh, realized once I had that degree and and was working in the firm was that I had a unique skill set and the marriage of my operational and organizational um, systems skills married with my passion for people was just much better suited to actually work on the business itself. Uh, and, I, and I think we can all agree that as a COO, there's never a boring day. So everything's <laughs> different and coming at you fairly quickly. And so, you know, the, the pace is something that I appreciate as well as the ability to truly take uh, an organizational and systems approach to the world, add in the human capital layer and make the enterprise um, run and function as best as it possibly can. So what, so the firm started in 97, what year did you join? I joined at the beginning of 2003, 2003. So I've been there 16 years. And then what year did you become the, the named COO? Mm, 2013, maybe? Maybe 10 years later. Okay. Wow. That's fantastic. And, yeah, and so there were, uh, in 2003, there were several, how big was the firm? There were several steps along the way. In <laughs> sure, 2003, sure. we were about $200 million. Um, Wow. So now we're almost $4 billion. Yeah. So it's been a fun ride. It's an incredible fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I'll stick with you, Heather, uh, in that COO role, um, you, you've probably, you've probably held every role at the firm, I would think from 200 million up to, to almost 4 billion, uh, in the COO role, what do you see, where do you see yourself fitting into the, the broader organization? What is kind of your primary role in your mind? So very clearly I have, I have not held every role. I have definitely not, not been an advisor. Um, and, and I, want to give a shout out to all the advisors out there because um, <laughs> what they do and how they do it is is truly special and takes a, a very unique skill set. Um, what do I see my role as? So, so we follow the traction process at Signature FD. And, and so my role as the integrator 
I very succinctly, my role is to help create the vision and the strategy of the business plan of the firm to communicate that strategy out to the the team and the people um, who actually are on the lines and, and make the firm run on a daily basis, and then just to resolve issues and remove obstacles for them. So, um, you know, my job is, is just resource allocation. It is driving toward um, the strategic plan of, of what we as a leadership team have set out that the vision is to accomplish. No, that's fantastic. And Lucas, you and I have talked about this uh, at length before too. You you have sort of similar sentiment as far as what your primary role is. Where do you where do you see yourself fitting into the to the overall organization? Yeah, I think very aligned with Heather. Uh, but you know, and from our conversation prior, you know, my what I see really being my primary role here at the firm is to to remove roadblocks for my team to be able to get things done. And what do I mean by that is that we have you know, we've added eight people to our headcount in the last 18 to 24 months, which for our size of firm is, is a lot. <laughs> and so we've almost doubled our team size. Uh, and really, you know, we, we operate as an ensemble. So clients are owned at the firm level, not individual level with the advisor. So what it, it really allows us to operate as a team. Um, and within that, there are, there are multiple departments. So Every department has their outcome and the things that they're working towards. And something that I think uh, is really unique to our firm is, uh, you know, I do a lot of networking in the industry and I meet a lot of our peers. And a question that I always ask is, tell me about how someone who typically, someone who's not executive level is moving your business forward. And this isn't the day-to-day, but they always tell me about the day-to-day answer. So what we've really done here is as a COO, working closely with my brother, who's the CEO, uh, we've set up a culture of roles and responsibilities that are outcome-based. So you have the day-to-day, but the things that you're working on, how th- those are the things that move the business forward, no matter how big or how small. And being able to remove the roadblocks that stand in the way of those team members I mean, that's a, that's a 24 hour job. And I think Heather said it nicely. It's, there's never a dull moment as a COO, whether it's related to technology or human capital or, you know, client related, there's always something interesting going on. And so I think as our job as COOs is really to, to enhance the operation, uh, work closely with the corporate planning and, and to carry out the vision. And really, I think, help execute that vision, right? Because, you know, one of my favorite quotes is vision without execution is just hallucination. And I think that's so true. (laughs) Um, Everybody has, you know, you go to a conference and you go all these sessions and you have these awesome ideas that are, you know, gold and they're going to move your business forward and you're going to double the size of your firm next year because you implement all these things, but everyone has busy lives. and, And when you come back, and you sit down at your desk and you got 150, 200 emails to respond to, those ideas die on the whiteboard, right? So the execution is everything. And that's what I think the role of the COO is there to do is to help not only the team execute, but help drive the vision and, and make things happen. Matt, can that's I add fantastic. to that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, please. So I, I completely agree with everything Lucas said. I, I think in addition to that, a, a very um, a very important role of a COO is to help develop the people who are driving the execution of the plan forward. Um, so, you know, helping to bridge the gap between whatever that uh, founding generation looks like that G1 and the G3 that will be the next um, wave of leaders in the firm. I, I really feel strongly that we as um, as professionals have a responsibility and I feel strongly uh, about the development of that next generation of leaders and, and really paying forward what has been poured into me by the founders of the firm, um, that trust and, and the, the ability to take responsibility, make enormous mistakes, not do it well, 
but the coaching and the mentorship and the personal development that has been poured into me to pay that forward to the next generation, uh, I feel an immense responsibility for us as COOs uh, to do that as well. And that's yeah, and I, I would agree with he- I would agree with Heather with everything she said. the The development of of your people is, I mean, investing in them is is what drives the business forward and and creates a culture that has people that are going to be loyal to the company and also having fun doing it. That's, you know, you got to make sure you're having fun. If, if you're not having fun doing it, it's not worth doing. So in our, um, I mean, you both have alluded to it and we've heard it in a couple other of these, uh, these podcast interviews. A lot of times this is wealth management or any other firm. The COO doesn't really have a defined job description. Uh, Lucas, you were talking about you just sort of created the role. Um, the, the job description is really nothing more than, well, just do everything else around here that isn't getting done. <laughs> and that's about as, as defined as it is. So we put out a uh, white paper the end of last year, and we tried to actually spell it out. And we actually used some of the words you guys have, have used. So um, we've drilled it down to three core responsibilities for a COO. Um, executing the company's business plan. You both mentioned that. Um, uh, going along with that is upholding the firm's culture. Again, I believe the advisor, uh, which most of the time is is the owner or one of the owner, the owners of the business are the advisors. They should be out of the office most of the time. So it's very hard for them to be dictating the culture. So who are the employees looking to? Um, you know, you, you mentioned having fun in the office, et cetera. So who are they looking to? They're looking to the COO. So that's number one, executing the business plan, upholding the culture. Two is what everybody thinks of, which is just managing vendor relationships, um, building the workflows and the processes of the firm, and overseeing the firm's technology stack. And then the third one that that Heather um, was drilling home there, recruiting, developing, and retaining the employees. And... Um, you know, the goal of every RIA is how do we offer high touch service to more and more clients? We want more and more clients, but we also want to stay small. We want to feel um, um, very connected with our clients. We don't want things slipping through the cracks, etc. Um, so uh, when the at a high level, it's we'll just do everything around here. <laughs> My question for you both is, well, how do you divide your time? Because that is one of the the goals of this podcast is to help COOs. They're so overwhelmed. Um, I, there's just you, your to do list is goes from the ceiling to the floor every single day. So how are you dividing your time? Um, and Heather, we we mentioned it. You've got several titles uh, at the firm in addition to COO. So if your day is a, is the the traditional pie graph, <laughs> uh, how are you dividing your your day? How do you tackle the day and spend your time and energy? You know, so I really try to focus on managing my energies and not my time. I mean, my, my days are very regimented, but that's to manage home and my professional lives well. I've, um, mm-hmm. you know, very clearly tried to set aside boundaries of um, what is acceptable for home and what is acceptable for work so that I can honor both of those well. So so just from a time blocking standpoint, my weeks and my days and my hours are, are very well intentionally um, blocked. And I, I schedule my calendar almost an entire year in advance just so that I can practice that intention. But I do really try to manage my energies more than I manage my time and, and be cognizant of the things that are I am allowing to use my energies. Um, and, and I think my philosophy over all of this is that the thing, the skill set that got me to this role, these, these things that I was good at, the reality is that they're not the same things that will make me successful in the future. And that quite honestly, uh, we have hired amazing people who are better, more skilled, faster, and smarter than I am in most of these areas. And so the beauty of it is that uh, one of the the things that, you know, I I really hone in on for my my responsibility to the firm is just communication. And and am I spending my energies wisely in filtering out what is noise, taking what is important, and constantly communicating those things to the team who will be the next generation of leaders who are better at the things 
um, that I used to be good at than I am today. And so I, I really feel like it is a different skill set. Managing yourself well in this role is a different skill set than, than really what got you to this place. And I think that when you can maybe make that mind shift and realize that by delegating and by growing others, you are creating growth opportunities that will impact the firm much more than anything that you could possibly do by yourself. I think that all of that becomes a lot easier. That's fantastic. Uh, and then Lucas, I know um, you have, uh, in addition to your operations roles, you have some client relationships as well. How are you managing your day-to-day? How are you juggling everything? Yeah, no, I think Heather again nailed it with time management is huge, right? It's, you know, it's the one commodity, it's the most precious commodity. And it's something that you, no matter how much money you have, you can't buy more of it. Um, so time management is, is definitely probably, I learned it early on in my life um, as, a, as an athlete, but it's something that has definitely helped me, you know, schedule and coordinate how I attack certain projects and execute. Um, but having the responsibilities as, a, as an advisor as well, um, I work with a limited amount of relationships and that is actually more of a tactical play for me. Uh, as a COO, you know, we talked about the day-to-day administration of the firm, driving workflow improvements and, and HR. Well, I beta test everything we do with a select group of clients, which I manage and work with. So they are my sounding board. They give me critical feedback for me to bring back to the team. And something that I think a lot of firms do, uh, it's all about the client experience at the end of the day, right? The, what the client experience is what drives the the direction of the firm. And so the client experience has got to be damn good, especially in today's day and age when there's so many different advisors out there and so many different options for managing or working with a wealth advisor or financial planner. And so, you know, when we think about externally facing the experience has to be good. But what I think the lack of focus is, is on internal because you're only as good as you are externally as you are internally and your ability to execute relies on the efficiency, which a lot comes from workflow and the technology that you have in place to create those efficiency and transparency into the organization. Um, But I'd say most of my time is, is really spent on, you know, with my team here, building the team, uh, investing in them, making sure that we have a really open relationship with everybody that works here. And so we're very proactive in everything that we do, whether it's the client relationship or internal relationships with, with the team members. Is We want to know about everything before there's any problems so that we can resolve those issues. And we have, a, I think, culture building is, is probably one of the most important things. If you look at our industry as a whole, you know, we all know the statistics, the, the aging advisors, you know, average age of 57 plus average age of a founder of a practice is in his, his or her, you know, early sixties. And so they're not spending the time to build the culture and it's a big, it's a big investment. And it's honestly, I, I know we'll probably cover this later on in the, in the podcast, but um, attracting young talent into this industry we have a huge culture problem. And so I, I spend a lot of my time working to build culture and a firm that has a really warm, inviting culture where young professionals can feel like they have a career trajectory and they can have an impact and be a part of something greater. And so, again, you know, a lot of different responsibilities, but um, there's, there's, a, there's so much that we do as COOs um, for me, that that second role as a wealth advisor is really how I beta test everything we're doing internally uh, to get the feedback that we need, because that's something that's really, you know, it's hard to ask for feedback in this industry just because for compliance reasons. <laughs> um, so you have to yep. be working with people who you really trust to, to give you the feedback in a way that you can actually take that feedback and improve and, and get better. So I'd say that that's really where I spend a lot of my time. Yep. Um, so, okay. So let's, let's go there. You, you brought up the, the HR component, um, PFI, you know, we, we've been asked many times, can, can we outsource the COO function? 
um, to you. You're in Los Angeles, we're in Florida or wherever it is. Can we just outsource that COO function? Because again, they're just thinking of, well, we just need somebody to, to work with our reporting provider and our custodian. Um, you can do that remotely. And I've always said, no, I believe 75% of the COO role is that HR component. And so Lucas, you, you hit on it. I know you've done some, some interesting things um, to make the firm attractive, not only to younger clients, but to younger employees as well. So can you, can you talk to some of the initiatives you've incorporated? Sure. I mean, number one is, is working together as an ensemble, as a true team, um, letting everyone feel that they have a real impact on the things that they're doing. And again, you know, we talked earlier about our outcome-based approach and every single person on our team is in one way or another moving the business forward towards that larger vision, that larger goal. And being able to execute is a team effort. It's not an individual uh, effort. So I think, you know, the team has really been built to create a culture. Um, it's a culture where we have multiple advisors and no one's, you know, trying to answer the phone when a prospect calls before the other advisor because that's how they get paid. So um, it's, it's, if, if an advisor brings in business, sure, they get, they get rewarded for that, but we don't have people competing in-house uh, to, to win business. It's all rolling up to the firm level. So that allows us to really pay our people extremely well. And I think that's something that has, is a bit of a, a culture change from the old eat what you kill model. Uh, furthermore, the tech technology component is huge. Uh, younger people want to interact with technology. They want, they understand how it can empower a company or an individual to be more efficient, to be armed with, with the data that they need without having to go and find it. And I think that democratization of knowledge makes the learning curve a lot easier, especially when you, you're looking at the partners of a firm or the founders of a firm who are you know, they're, they're much older, you know, they're, they're twice my age. How do I extract that knowledge if I can't sit down and spend time with them? So it's, it's creating a really open culture and also being in a place where you can be loud about it. Um, you know, I've walked into many advisors' offices and they're stale, they're cold, uh, they're not inviting. And I think something that Heather said earlier that really resonated me, with me was energy. Uh, we're extremely sensitive to energy. And, you know, the energy of the office, something that we always say is, you know, while we're not as large as, as Heather's firm, uh, in our Boston location, we have 10 people and we just hired our 11th for the Boston office. But, you know, if, if there's 10 people in the office, every one of those, everyone on the, every one of those 10 people is 10% of the culture, 10% of the energy. So if they're coming in here and they're in a bad mood or they're in a, they don't feel good and they're not, you know, happy, that brings the energy level of the team down. And so we're very sensitive to that. Even in our hiring process, it's, we look for really good energy, people who can bring that good passionate energy to work every single day, because that is what really drives the culture. And I think that's, what's been really attractive. I mean, other than Max and I being extremely loud in the industry, um, and trying to really disrupt financial services, which is, is very difficult to do, by the way. Um, we get inbound resumes. We're getting, you know, 15 to 20 inbound resumes of highly qualified professionals and people starting out in their career from other wealth management firms, from top universities in the country. Um, we don't have an issue attracting talent. And it's something that I think really is unique for us because of the culture that we've built. Yep, and that that's a very good point when you're uh when 10 11 people in the office that that next hire is going to have a huge impact on the culture. That's uh that's a good way to look at it. Um Heather, how are you approaching the HR function at Signature FD? Yeah, I couldn't agree with Lucas more. I think he makes a great point if there's one word that that people need to take away it's culture. Um being intentional about building your culture whatever it is is most important. We have put some um, some safeguards in place intentionally on our uh, hiring process. You know, we use an industrial psychologist to help us um, vet potential prospects, prospective team members, just for the fact that that we want to be sure. I mean, it, our culture is so important that it's critical that we get it right. I think the flip side of that, though, is that 
um, the, and it's a flip side, but it's a beautiful side to me as well, is that the culture will, if it's strong enough, it will weed out people who do not fit or do not belong of its own accord. And then it's leadership's responsibility to be the guardian of that culture and to take necessary action um, as appropriate. And so being sensitive to that, being cognizant of that, having enough EQ to know what your culture is, um, to build it intentionally. I think that when you start to talk about culture, it can be very esoteric, but there are tangible things that you can do as a leader to be intentional about building a culture. And to me, um, what culture is, is the alignment of um, building a place where humans thrive. And if we can create that canvas and we can create that place where humans and their unique abilities are able to thrive and be their best people, then they will only impact the lives of more clients in a more profound way. And so we take that responsibility very seriously. I, I love that you guys yeah. use a, a, a psychologist. We, we use a dog right now, which uh, works pretty well. Uh, you get a good sense of people. <laughs> <laughs> now anyone, uh, anyone interviewing is going to bring uh, bacon in their pocket now for the, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, for the onsite you, visit. You, yeah. you, <laughs> the you dog laugh, loves me. <laughs> No, I'm, you're la you laugh about it, but I'm telling you, he's been able to weed out some people that didn't check out on their background checks, and it's it's pretty amazing because animals have a unique ability to sense energy at a at a much higher frequency, and and you know they know they know, man. I'm telling you. Yep, that is funny. So, like I said, I I really do think that that HR component it's so important. The culture is so important that 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 is really the majority of the COO's primary role. But technology, obviously, the world we live in, technology is super important. It's very important of how uh, the employees are getting their job done, how the firm is interacting with with clients. Um, so I, I do want to hit on technology. There's it's somewhat of a a religious debate. Um, both sides are very passionate whether you should build the technology in house or you should should buy it. Um, and Lucas, I know you've done a lot of customization around Salesforce, and um, you focused a lot on building a truly integrated um, technology experience at Winthrop Wealth. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it it's expensive, it's time consuming and it takes a lot of hard work. Um but it can be done and it's it's there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh I think, you know, when we talk about technology, one thing and and I I spend a lot of time in this space and and we work very closely with our our technology partners. We sit on multiple development boards. Um, on some of, some of those boards, we're the smallest firm by about 50,000 employees. Uh, so we're, we're working in the SMB space, the small, medium-sized business space, um, where we're, or we're interacting with massive institutions. So trying to make technology work for the small, medium-sized business, especially in financial services, is something that we all know to be very painful, right? There is no out-of-the-box solution when a tech firm comes in and shows you a demo, you want everything it, it does and more, but the reality is it's never going to work for you that way off the bat. It can be done, but it's going to take a lot longer than you expect, and it's going to cost a lot more money than you had hoped it would. Um, and this is something that we realized early on, but the reality is what people don't understand is that you have to define what success looks like off the bat and a success is broken down into multiple milestones, which lead up to the end all victory, which is then just you, you're at the point where you finally start seeing some ROI. But we've, we've uh, partnered with sellers, Salesforce. We use Adapar, eMoney, um, and uh, that's office 365 as, as our email and everything like that. And for us, it was really figuring out how to build, transparent and efficient system that is fully integrated to give time back to advisors to really create true roles and responsibilities using the technology and empowering everybody to have full insight into business analytics. 
which is something in the financial services business industry that is very difficult to get. We made a hire about two and a half years ago, and it's our chief technology officer who had zero experience in financial services, had never worked in financial services or finance at all, um, but knew how to make systems work. He has a, a really strong background in sales enablement and technology platforms and implementation. Uh, and that was a huge investment for us because it's non-revenue -gener gen non generating and all these things that he needs to, to make things work cost a lot of money. And my brother, Max, and I have spent a ton of time integrating with him to design the systems, but it's, a, it's been a, about a three-year journey for us. And uh, we've been doing a, a decent amount of events with both Salesforce and Adapar, uh, eMoney, you know, a lot of work, a lot of time. But the most important thing I, I, I'd say for anyone listening when it comes to technology is, before you go and vet products, before you buy anything, before you see a demo, define what using technology in your practice and the success of that looks like and break it down into mul multiple steps because it's going to cost a lot more than you think and it's going to take a lot more time. But it can be done and it's something that is when done correctly is it puts your firm into the future. And last year, the theme of our, our 2018 was future-proofing. Um, which was a fun theme, and, and that was really getting a lot of these systems that we had to, to talk to each other and work in an integrated environment. And the, the results have really been um, extremely successful, and it's, it's really fun to see. And Heather, it, it, like I said, it's almost a religious debate. Where do you fall in the build versus buy <laughs> uh, the debate? <laughs> I, I love that you call it a debate. Um, I totally appreciate everything Lucas said. I think we've taken the the other side of the approach, which is recognizing that that we don't want to be in the business of developing technology. We want to use um, the best technology that we can. We also understand that um, the industry is consolidating quickly and things are changing quickly uh, in the fintech space. And and I don't uh, want the chassis of our organization to ever be beholden to um, something that that we can't necessarily work ourselves out of. And he is, Lucas is, is very correct, it is very expensive and it does take time and you have to have a true vision and strategic plan of where you're going and, and what the expectation is and what the ROI is of that investment on the other side. And so um, I think for us, it's a bit of risk mitigation. It's a bit of understanding that, that we are not, that's not our wheelhouse. It's not our specialty. We want the best um, platform that we can get. And, and we do want integration of our systems because we do believe that an elegantly simple platform that allows us to operate with leverage and scale as efficiently as possible um, is right for us and the best thing for us. Um, but we are definitely not in the business of, of creating that. Now, we will leverage the right people to help guide that roadmap. Uh, and we will leverage very skilled um, technology consultants to help us build integrations if, if we feel like they are necessary. Um, and, and we use a very similar tech stack to Lucas, uh, except for Adapar, we are with Orion. Um, so, so definitely speaking the same language, definitely using similar tools, but but coming at it from from a different approach. Yep, no, that's perfect. So, I have one last question. Um, neither one of you are the stereotypical RIA executive. Uh, so, I thought this would be a great question for both of you. What advice do you have? for future, more diverse generations that uh, are looking to enter and or lead the RIA space in the future. Um, Lucas, I'll, I'll go to you first. Well, number one, I'd say everything that we've done, it might have been easier at a non-family firm. <laughs> uh, for us, the, the, <laughs> the, the family dynamic is extremely important and it's something that is very precious and, and it, you know, you, you got you to gotta make sure that that does not get uh, disrupted or affected by uh, the business side of things. And it's very difficult, but um, yeah, so 
Number one, uh, it's probably easier done at a firm where you're not you're not working with your brother, your dad, and your uncle. <laughs> um, but what is going to to drive or what what would help young people get into leadership roles in the financial services, specifically RIA, RIA space? Uh, I think it would take the owners of the current RAs out there to wake up and see that they're not going to be able to do this forever and that their options are really quite limited when it comes to uh, secession. And, and we know the statistics. There, a lot of these people don't have any idea what, what to do if they weren't able to work to, starting tomorrow. Um, their firm really wouldn't exist without them, so the key person risk is so high. Uh, I think if they're starting to, to realize that and you have a couple options when it comes to, okay, I can get acquired by a bigger firm and consolidate, or I can, at, you know, the, when I've been working, I've been working for 40 years and now you're going to spend more time than you ever have to create the structure to be able to have the scalability and continuity um, to bring somebody younger in to help lead. And I think it's a big topic of discussion, but you're starting to see that happening. And I think that these owners are starting to wake up a little bit and say, oh, wow, you know, I, I really need a plan for the future. I've been helping my clients plan for the future and, and I tell them to do all these things about with, within their businesses and for their personal lives, but they haven't necessarily done it themselves. So I think in general, the, the, the owners starting to see the light that if they want their legacy to live on in their business, they need to bring younger people in who have the energy to deal and, and run these firms because I'll tell you, it takes a lot of energy. I'm 29 years old and I'll tell you, Max and I work 80 to 100 hours a week and we're still tired, but we've, we're young and we've got the energy to do it, but we're also passionate and, and we see we have a greater vision. So really, I think it, it needs to happen at the, the, um, the ownership level of people who have been in this business for a while to, to go out there and, and recreate themselves by inviting younger people who are really smart and talented into their firms to help lead and relinquish some control. And that's really hard. I think that's the hardest part about young people coming in is that even if they do come in, the owners and, and the senior partners at the firm are not as willing to relinquish control and really allow the younger people to do what they do best because they don't have 30 years of experience. Um, but again, the day and age we live in, the resources are more readily available to us at the age of 30 than they were for a lot of these entrepreneurial partners when they were 30 or 40 or even 50 years old. So we have the tools, we just need the guidance and we need the barriers to be broken down to allow us to do what we do best. And I think with the guidance and the, the responsibility and, and you know the, the blessing to take something and really build it and, and define a new uh, vision for these firms is something that will 100% help attract talent and really change the, I, I think it takes a couple of years, but the part, the people who have done this in the industry are really, you know, they're raving about it. And I can name it. I'm sure you guys know who I'm talking about, but there's a number of firms out there that have already named their successors. And those successors have been in the firm for five, 10 years, and they're the ones who are going to be taking over and they're getting mentored and coached to do so. Yeah, I'm speaking on you're speaking on a COO podcast. So yes, I don't think you could have said that in any better. Um, so Heather, what do you think future leaders of our industry should be looking out for? I think there are um, two things that that really stand out to me. Um, one is let go of the fear of failure and try new things. I think that one thing that has been very helpful to me in my career is even the things that didn't necessarily make sense um, gave me a grounding in the firm and a background in the firm that was extremely important to me later. And so if, if I was you know, mentoring young leadership coming through, it would, it would be, look, don't be afraid of the blank canvas. It may not all make sense now, but if there is an opportunity, seize it. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of um, pigeonholing yourself. Be open, be curious, and feel free to put on the art smock and paint 
your reality the way that that you want to paint it. I think that um, I think that's very important. I think the second thing that's very important to me, and I am, um, I, I'm older than Lucas, and um, you know, I'm not working eighty to a hundred hours a week, um, and I think <laughs> I think that um, it's critically important from the other side of the table as well for young leaders in our industry to acknowledge and to understand the importance and the care of the thing that we have been entrusted with. Um, these, these entrepreneurs in our space, I mean, they are pioneers. They have built an entire industry and that is not to go lightly. That is not to be taken lightly. It is an enormous accomplishment and these are their babies. These, these businesses are, um, their life's work and their legacy. And I think that as we are given opportunities to help guide the future and help lead the future and help take the next um, journey of, of this evolution of this industry, I think we have a responsibility to do that with the utmost care and sensitivity and um, quite frankly, respect of what they have built and what they have built for us to be a part of. And so I I don't think that I had that um, knowledge or understanding or ability to get on their side of the table and see the world through their eyes uh, when I first started in this firm. And I probably made a lot of really stupid mistakes because I was arrogant enough to think that I was better or had all the answers. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's quite the opposite. I had an enormous amount to learn and they stuck with me and, and I want to honor that. And I I just think that as G2 coming in or G3 behind that, the more that we can honor that and, and treat that with the utmost respect, um, the better that transition will go for everyone. And the, the, more quickly we will make strides as an industry into the next level, which is probably a profession. That's great. We, we, everyone talks, there's a lot of articles written, et cetera, about empathy for the client and putting yourself in the client's shoes. But no, I, I love what you said. We need empathy within the organization as well, within the, within the firm and understanding the different roles and, and histories, et cetera. Um, that that's great. Very well said. Um, well, I can't thank you both enough for sharing your experiences and wisdom uh, today. Um, Lucas touched on this a little bit. I'm speaking to more and more firms lately. They've just sort of woken up one day and realized that they've had a ton of success in spite of not having formal business strategies in, in, in place. I think that uh, some of the stories and the overall approach that you both have laid out today is going to help many, many firms and their COOs um, looking to evolve from practices to businesses. So thank you again, um, both Heather and Lucas. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Absolutely. Well, that is a wrap on episode five here. Um, We're looking to do something a little different um, for our next episode. So please stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. And uh, please subscribe to the COO Roundtable either on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or you can get updates on new podcasts by subscribing directly to our blog at pfiadvisors.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we will speak with you very soon.